it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Here comes a lightning bolt. Charger fans are witnesses to history. This is the Lightning Round Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Sisti and Jamie Hoyle. Go Chargers, go. Welcome, everybody, to Lightning Round Podcast. Of course, I am at Garrett Sisti. Jamie is at Lightning underscore round. And we got some donations since the last time we talked. And, of course, if you're so inclined to do so, it's pinned to the Lightning Round Podcast Twitter account if you want to go do that on PayPal or Venmo. Our first one came from Jay Pennington, who is very, very, very generous, who said, I donated around your final podcast when the Bolts finally left and you guys retired. You were super generous. You sent me a T-shirt which didn't have to, but was very much appreciated. Miss y'all, so figured donating for your comeback is some nice symmetry. Love the podcast and missed you guys. We missed you, Jay. Glad to be Thank back. Thank you, Jay. Yeah. That's very nice. We appreciate that. Uh, the next one is from Samuel Gelber, who says, I'm not sure if the Chargers are rewarding you for doing your comeback and adding the after hours, or if you're rewarding the Chargers for hiring your guy, 1B Staley, but this mm-hmm. year is fun. I do feel bad for Lynn and his Lions unlucky, unfortunate, unforeseeable losses. Yeah, I'm not sure how unforeseeable those are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I hope he doesn't get asked about what he thinks the Chargers are doing or he might have a meltdown. Yes. Thank you, Sam. We appreciate it. Uh, again, not sure how unlucky 
or un- unforeseeable those losses are with Anthony Lynn cl- calling plays for the Lions. But uh, yeah, he probably wouldn't handle it too well if he asked if he gets asked about the Chargers. No. Uh, last one here is from Rory O'Donny. I believe is how you say the last name. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Thank you, everybody. Sam, Jay, Rory. Appreciate you guys. And let's get into the storylines. Of course, the Chargers win this shootout against the Cleveland Browns at home. Let's go ahead and start off with offense like we do every week. And then we'll get into defense and then our apologies. So, Jamie, what is your first little headline you want to talk about first? Well, I think the first headline has to be the offensive line, which played extremely well on Sunday, uh, really outside of a couple of kind of clunky chips where they were trying to help out Rashawn Slater and wound up hurting him more than they wound up helping him. Um, the offensive line played extremely well. They ran the ball very effectively pretty much throughout the game, especially on the left side of the line. I thought Storm Norton and uh, – Michael Schofield on the we on the rewatch, excuse me, I can't talk. Uh, both played really well. Um, I expected to see more leaks on that side of the line on the rewatch, and really, there weren't any. The coaches did a good job of helping to chip for for um, Norton on the right side. Schofield worked really well with Lindsey and Norton um, throughout the game, and they really didn't have any issues on that right side. Um, and outside of like I said, those two kind of clunky, poorly executed chips uh, where they were trying to help out Rashawn Slater with Miles Garrett. The offensive line was nearly perfect on Sunday. They played a great game, and it allowed them to be highly efficient on offense, move the ball up and down the field, and obviously score 47 points. So that was, I think, one of the bigger storylines is how well that offensive line played against a defensive line that had been playing really well for the last four weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Offensive line was better than expected. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you and shout out to storm Norton who we found out had a baby. Yep. Got the game ball and gave his baby the game ball. Yeah. How great was that? Um, so one thing I, I wanted, and I thought we were just going to go ahead and get into it, but I'll, I'll start it. I, I don't know how we're going without talking about Justin Herbert already on offense, but (laughs) I, I get it. I'm (laughs) trying to mix it up a little bit. I know. I know this is the obvious one, but um, I, we, we already talked about how great he was on Sunday, but I just kind of want to take it a step further because it feels like everybody's kind of pussyfooting around the idea of him being an MVP candidate. And he absolutely is. And I don't think we need to really like jot around that idea. He is absolutely in the top two with Kyler you can maybe throw in Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, but Justin Herbert is one or two in the MVP candidate race right now. He has the most three on Sunday. He got the most 300 plus passing yards in the player's first two seasons with 11. He passed Mahomes and Dan Marino for that uh, through the first 20 games. Herbert has 5,912 passing yards, which is second most by any QB in NFL history. And he has 50 total touchdowns in the last seven games. He has with at least three touchdowns and zero interceptions, which is the most by any quarterback through his first two seasons in NFL history. And Paul Hembeticus, I think is his last name, tweeted out that on third and fourth down this season, Justin Herbert's QBR is 94.6. That is stupid good. That is almost perfect. Every week, Justin Herbert is making elite throws. He is becoming automatic on money downs when it counts and when they need him to win. And there's a lot of credit going around this season for their hot start, but Justin Herbert's play just cannot go unnoticed. And I know that a lot of people are talking about it, but we got to talk about it more. We got to just step back 
and just look at how great Justin Herbert has been, not only in his rookie season, but now he is a true NFL MVP candidate. And at this point, there has never been a Charger quarterback to ever get NFL MVP. And I think the only Charger was LT in 2006. Yeah. I mean, so he could possibly, and I don't want to put the cart in front of the proverbial horse here, but we are currently witnessing history and Justin Herbert could very well put the best season together by any Chargers quarterback in NFL history. And six games is too soon, but six games is enough sample size to know that Justin Herbert has been amazing and he deserves his flowers. A lot of times we give these players, celebrities, actors, athletes, whatever their flowers after they're gone and dead. And we don't hear from them again. Currently, Justin Herbert is amazing. We are witnessing history, and as Charger fans, we get, we got to embrace it. Yeah, he's been amazing. Um, I think you know you mentioned the success on third and fourth down. Really, since the Dallas game, he's been flawless in the red zone too. Um, and his fourth quarter numbers have to be off the charts, especially after this week. Uh, he played brilliantly in the fourth quarter against Washington. Led a go-ahead a go-ahead scoring drive against Dallas in the fourth quarter, only to see the defense give it up at the end. Um, led them down the field really well against um, Kansas City several times. Did the same thing again last week against the Raiders, and mo most recently against um, against the Browns. He had mm -hmm. just a monster fourth quarter. Uh, so he deserves all the credit he's getting and more. He is leading this offense in a way that over the last several years, even Philip rivers couldn't, um, there is no longer that trepidation of, okay, it's a money down in the fourth quarter where, you know, we need this. We have to have this. Oh, uh, here comes the pick from rivers. Right. You know, which is something hero that ball. we hero ball, mm -hmm. which is something that we saw over and over and over again. And especially in rivers last five or six years with the chargers in those money situations, he was throwing the ball up for grabs into tight coverage and getting picked. And Herbert is making the right reads, making the right throws, making the plays. He's even now starting to recognize pass interference and throwing the ball into pass interference. He did that a couple times on Sunday where there wasn't anybody open, but he threw it in the direction of where he saw pass interference and he got the call to extend drives. Uh, he is seeing the field, I think, at a whole new level. His pre-snap and post-snap reads are much better than they were last year. He's much more decisive with the ball. You're not seeing as much double pumping and pump faking and second guessing. He's at the top of his drop. He's finding his man. He's letting it rip. He's hit normally more often than not. He's on time and accurate. Mm -hmm. um, he's been great. And you can see Staley trusts him. The offense trusts him. And he makes those big money throws like the one he made to Keenan. that has been making its rounds around um, Twitter this week where he rolls out to his right and Keenan's 30 yards downfield and he drops the ball right over the defensive back and hits Keenan in stride on the sideline for a big gain. The offense feeds off those throws. Now they're starting to expect them. He's making throws that maybe two or three quarterbacks in the whole league can make on yeah. the run. Mm -hmm. And it's fueling drives. It's fueling comebacks. It's fueling wins. So he has been absolutely phenomenal. Can't take anything away from him. And he is so much better than I thought he was going to be when they drafted him. <laughs> no, we all, we get, we can get to that at the end, I think, because we, we might have to do a tandem little apology there, but yeah, I mean, every game there is two to three throws that don't make any sense physically, mentally. I, none of it makes it, my brain can't even wrap around how good of a throw he can make. And he does it every game. 
and that yeah, one that, and that throw times. to Keenan, yeah, that throw to Keenan is one of them on Sunday. That the way he was able to place that behind the defender in Keenan's out, hands in stride going against the sideline was just stupid. It yeah, doesn't make it's the same. Sense. It's the same throw he made over Diggs against Dallas. Basically, mm-hmm. the same sideline, the same throw, um, rolling out to his right, just flips it out, gets it right over his fingertips, and hits Keenan in stride. I mean, just it's it should be illegal. Yeah, <laughs> that's how good it is. It's amazing. What else you got? Um, <clears throat> I think you know we talked about this on on um after hours. after hours, but. I think Joe Lombardi deserves a huge shout out for the game that he called. Um, Let's give him his flowers. You know, we, we apologize to him um, Uh pretty much every week. It seems like, so we (laughs) should probably learn our lesson at some point, (laughs) Um, but Lombardi called a brilliant game. And, you know, we've, we've talked every week about how he's layering his play calling and he's adding little wrinkles on top of wrinkles every week. And it seems like every play he calls has a purpose and is building towards something. And we saw it again this week. There was a great play. Um, it was a screen pass to Eckler mm. where they had Guyton go on the jet sweep. They brought Keenan from right to left underneath Guyton, making it look like he was going to block for Guyton. Uh, Herbert dropped back, faked it to Eckler, faked the pitch to, to Guyton, and then threw a screen back to the right to Eckler for like a 20-yard gain or something like that. Mm. It was just a beautiful play call. As soon as Keaton vac- Keenan vacated the slot, the weak side linebacker blitzed because there was no one there to block him. Left the field wide open. It was complete. It was perfectly blocked. The whole play was perfectly executed, uh, and they had several plays like that. You know, both touchdown passes to Mike Williams. He's wide open. You get that wide open look to Parham on their first touchdown drive where they they have him chip and then they leak him out yep. and everybody's running clear outs and he's wide open. There's nobody within twenty yards of him. Yep. And he just runs into the end zone. They're just we keep seeing that wheel route to cook. You'd think teams would catch on to it, but we keep seeing that on third and fourth down and it continues to work. It, it worked probably better than it has all season on Sunday. Um, you know, they've got the ball with like two minutes and five seconds left in the fourth quarter, right around the 50 yard line. And they run that little, that little wheel route um, on first down to cook. And he's, he's got a 40 yard gain, 30 yard gain, whatever it was mm-hmm. easy. There's nobody anywhere near him. Nobody even thought to, to, to cover him. So he's finding ways to get everybody open. He's layering his play calling. He's setting teams up two, three, four games down the line. You see these plays come back and they're running a new wrinkle on top of it. He is calling a brilliant game and to score 47 points against any defense in an NFL game is like you said, stupid. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) It shouldn't happen ever. And then to have them, I don't believe they punted or were stopped at any point in the second half of that game. So I think the last time the offense was stopped in that game was Eckler's fumble right before halftime. So they had what they had 13 points at halftime. They scored 34 points. So they had five possessions in the second half. All of them resulted in touchdowns and they were up and down the field and it was easy money. Pretty much the entire second half, the Browns had no answer. So Joe Lombardi deserves a, a lot of credit for the games that he's calling for the way he's getting this offense humming really on all cylinders. As we get into the second half of the season here, Um, it seems like he took a few weeks to figure some things out. Now he knows who does what, where they need to be, how to get them open. And, and they're just, they look unstoppable right now. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. After the fumble, 
touchdowns all the way down the board. And um, and that's a pretty good defense there in Cleveland, too, to put that many points up against a pretty good defense is also something uh, to add on to your point. And then also on that screen pass, what really helped make it work is we saw that end around to Jalen Guyton twice the week before. So they ran it as if they've already seen it on tape, but then added a different wrinkle to get Austin Eckler open and in space. And that I believe that was the first play with Michael Schofield back uh, coming into the game once uh, Ode Abuji went down. And it was a nice way to just get Michael Schofield out and running and warmed up and get him loose. And, and he did, he did okay on that play. So, you know, the, it is, it is all about layering and um, on, on to your point of Joe Lombardi. Uh, also the way he's been slow rolling this red zone plan has been really good. And it's starting to pay dividends because, you know, we saw early on, it was Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. They were the go-to weapons in the first couple of weeks. We saw Eckler out of the backfield. Then we started to see Jared. Cook. He started to roll out Jared cook in the red zone. And now we're getting to see Donald Parham in the red zone. He's emerging as a TD target too, you know? So we thought how we talked about how the red zone offense looked kind of stale early on. And I think now, as we're looking at it, it seemed like it's a product of Lombardi, not really showing all of his cards, but currently as they go into this game in Baltimore, you know, they look like they could be a real problem in the red zone. And they have been last two weeks. You currently have five guys that you got to account for Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Jared cook, Donald Parham, Easton, even Austin Eckler are the backfield. And then to make things even more difficult, Justin Herbert can just tuck it and run like he did on Sunday against the Browns. So, you know, this red zone offense is really clicking and Lombardi is really setting up a real diverse offense and it's really paying off in the red zone. Yeah. And they're doing it by, like you mentioned, they're spreading out their playmakers and moving the ball around. So you can't focus on one person. Mm -hmm. They've simplified the play calling. I think things were a little complicated and they were relying a little bit too much on the crossers and the rubs and, and more complicated route combinations. Um, the first couple weeks for the last three weeks, They've been running more, more clear outs and dumping the ball off underneath the clear outs and giving guys room to run against man coverage. Uh, so they've simplified things quite a bit, and they're multifaceted. They've got all these weapons they can go to, and like you said, Herbert can tuck it and run whenever he needs to. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when he tucks it and runs, it it kind of looks like he's jogging, and he's still beating guys <laughs> to the edge. He yeah. doesn't even look like he's running that hard. Uh -uh. So they have so many ways to beat you. They really haven't shown the jump ball weapon in the red zone yet. I'm sure that's coming at some point mm -hmm. with Parham and cook and Mike. Mike I'm yeah. sure they're going to start rolling that out here at some point. Mm -hmm. um, now you're starting to see Parham on those two point conversions where he's just wide open, sitting right on the goal line. I mean, they have so many ways to hurt you and they're winning with tempo. They're winning with a multitude of weapons They're winning with s simple play calling. It's just been, it's been really fun to watch. It's not that same stale game plan. We're used to seeing, really the last eight years from McCoy and Lynn, it's just, it's a little different every week, a little, a new wrinkle, a new sprinkle, you know, the, the, the deal with uh, Lindsay and Herbert talking to each other as Lindsay's getting up to the ball to determine the snap count. They're, they're varying tempos. It's all, it's all been really a work of art since I would say since the Dallas game, mm -hmm. they've gotten past some of those turnover issues in the red zone and things they started picking up the pace and simplifying things and it's been easy money ever since. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a thing of beauty to watch unfold through these first couple of weeks. Anything else on offense? Um I think Eckler deserves a huge shout out. He had a mm. great game. Um he oh, yeah. it seems like his role continues to grow every week. 
They're giving him increasingly more carries every week. Uh, he's showing to be very effective running the ball in the red zone and in the fourth quarter, which is huge. Austin Eckler is really cementing himself as one of the very elite playmakers in the league that still a lot of people don't know about. And it's been really fun to watch him and his role in the offense evolve as, as Lombardi starts to get a feel for what he can do. And I still think there's more to come. They're still not running that many screen passes, and that's still a huge weapon for Eckler. So I think we're going to start to see more of those screen passes, maybe on second and long and in the red zone. It just seems like there's so many ways to get him the ball in space and have success getting chunk plays that I, I've got to imagine there's more of that coming. Oh, Definitely. And three touchdowns, right? Two through the air, one on the ground. Yep. Am I right on that? Yep. Man. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent game from Eckler. And also I see the complaint a lot on Twitter. Well, a few times, a lot is an over-exaggeration a couple times where the chargers don't have that hundred yard rusher on the ground and they need that real guy to pick up a bunch of chunk yards. And I, what is his, I don't know what it's, has he got over 70 yards this season? I don't, I don't know if he has or not on the ground, but regardless, it doesn't matter. They're winning. Yeah. They're finding ways to win, and that whole, that whole, you know, rumbling, bumbling, hundred yard back to back game running back that just doesn't matter in the NFL anymore. Not when you have a guy like Justin Herbert. I agree, and I think you know, it's not important that he runs for hundred yards. It's important, like Staley says, that he is able to get the yards they need when they need them. Mm-hmm. You know, in the red zone, on sec, on third down, on fourth down, on the goal line in the fourth quarter. That's when they need it, and yeah. that's when they're getting it. You Mm -hmm. see, I mean, that offensive line is blocking so well. There are so many plays on Sunday that were just pretty much perfectly blocked. And he is, he's finding those holes. He's exploding through the holes and getting the yards they need. I'm not that worried about the hundred yard rushing. As long as they're able to put the, put games away on the ground when they need to, and they're able to get yards, tough yards when they need to. That's all that really matters. That's that, that sets up the play action that keeps them balanced. That's what's going to make the passing game work long-term. Yeah. Yeah, as long as he's running hard and getting the yards they need at the end of the game or when they need it on third down and money downs, that's very important. And also, early on, if he's getting enough yards to keep the defense honest, that's all that really matters. They don't need 100 yards. They don't, we don't. The Chargers don't need Zeke in the backfield. They've got a versatile weapon in Eckler, and it doesn't need to be 100 yards to you know, it, for enough for a defense to keep him honest. He's doing enough on the ground to get the yards when they need it to be enough of a threat that Justin Herbert can open things up in the passing game. The only place that matters that hundred yard stuff is fantasy and nobody cares about your fantasy team. That's, that's true. That's true. Can I tell you about my fantasy team real quick though? No, with that. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. Uh, so moving on. <laughs> so defensively, which is very true. I also don't want to see your tweets about uh, your fantasy team either. Cause who cares about that? That you won this week by a point or lost by two. Who cares? Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, defense. Let's move on. Um, uh, got to uh, this is going to be the rougher part of the show here, obviously, uh, with giving up as much points as they did. But to, I mean, you know, just uh, just to be honest, this the secondary here had the absolute worst game of the season so far, and it's by a mile. Uh, Staley's defense has always been able to keep the top on uh, top on the defense. That's kind of what they've hung their hat on. They limit the big plays, but on Sunday. They were absolutely open for business. Najoku had catches at 22, 31, 71. He finished with 149 and a touchdown. Donovan, People, Donovan Peoples-Jones had 42-yard reception, and he had 79 yards on the day. Of the six Browns who caught a pass on Sunday, each player had a catch of at least nine yards or more. They were giving up chunk plays on Sunday. Baker Mayfield for, threw for 305. And the Chargers just couldn't stop him until it counted, obviously, the last two drives. But, um, you know, the Chargers already couldn't stop the run, and they've done a pretty good job eliminating those big plays. But on Sunday, they couldn't d- defend the pass or the run. And with David Njoku, with the day he had, going into Sunday's game, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board because the Ravens had Mark Andrews go absolutely bonkers on Monday night for 11 catches, 147, and I think he had two touchdowns. So... That's obviously a matchup they got to focus up on Sunday, but more importantly, they got to fix this thing. I don't know if it was just a lot of miscommunication with Chris Harris Jr. I mean, Asante Samuel Jr. had to go down in that game, had to go be sidelined during that game. Unclear of exactly what it was, but they just got to limit those big plays all around. The secondary was, you know, the unsung heroes, which we've talked about in podcasts this, this season so far, but this game, I mean, they were just awful. Yeah, and it wasn't just coverage. It was tackling. It was across mm-hmm. the board. They were bad at pretty much every function on the field. Um, they struggled tackling in the run game. They struggled tackling wide receivers. You know, Even when they read plays correctly and they broke on them and had a chance to break them up, they missed both the ball and the tackle, like on that the Donovan Peoples-Jones play that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Adderley trying to throw a forearm shiver into Njoku on the 71-yard touchdown. Uh, just sloppy and it seemed like there were guys who were out of position and didn't know what they were supposed to be doing you know and i don't know if that's a function of harris jr coming back and being confused about his role or asante samuel jr being confused about his role with with harris being back things just weren't as tight the tackling wasn't as good as well with um without Tavon campbell on the field uh it was just it was very rough all day long and they they had issues i believe with joey bosa where there were plays where he was supposed to chip Najoku and didn't mm-hmm. know what he was supposed to do and didn't drop back into coverage, which, by the way, could we please not drop Bosa into coverage? He's yeah. our only pass rusher. Do we oh, really have yeah. to be dropping him into coverage five or ten times a game? It's really not necessary. No. And it's unproductive. Stop it. <laughs> uh, um, but, yeah, as a group, they just really struggled. It was a bad day. And I, I'm sure having to honor the run as much as they did didn't help because it opened up the, the play-action passing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've got a lot to clean up, both on the back end and in the front seven um, from Sunday. Yeah, It was bad all the way around. Yeah, they're going against another good offense, or yeah, another good offense this Sunday in the Ravens. That's a good team. Yeah. The Ravens are playing well right now, too. Lamar's yeah. throwing the ball really well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the other story, too, has to be the defensive line which we've talked about, it seems like on every show 
um, so far this season. But <laughs> what really stood out to me was at times Bosa was getting double and even triple teamed, and nobody else was winning their one-on-one matchups. Not in the run game, not as pass rushers. They just weren't winning one-on-one at all. And that's a concern uh, because the the Ravens like to muddy things up in the offensive line. They like to jam a lot of people into short spaces and, and try to create chaos and confusion in the running game. And uh, the Chargers, if they're not able to, to clamp down and win those one-on-one matchups, they're going to have a really, really tough time with the Ravens on Sunday. Um, they just have to, they just have to win mm-hmm. guys like Tillery, Joseph, um, Merrill, all these guys, Fackrell, Covington, Covington, they all have to win when Bose is getting double and triple teamed. And if they're not, you're in big trouble. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that's been an issue all season long. And I, man, I, it just, it feels so weird that Staley would have seen this team on paper and said, this D line's good enough and not address it in free agency or in the draft. I, I know we've harped on that a lot and I don't want to get back into it, but yeah, man, this, uh, this defensive line isn't playing good enough. And I, and we talked about how Justin Jones just isn't the savior at this point. So that's something they are going to have to just get better at. And so, I mean, and it looked good against Las Vegas. They held Josh Jacobs to 40 yards on the ground and things were looking good pressuring Derek Carr, but man, they, it was a big backslide against Cleveland and they're going to have to clean it up this week for sure when they've got such a mobile quarterback and a, a guy who can also throw the ball, who's thrown the ball pretty well, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah, there were um I think it seemed like their desire to stop those running plays and to win those matchups really dwindled as the game went on. They they made a couple good stops in the fourth quarter when they needed to. Oh yeah. But for most of that game, uh they were getting run over, the angles were bad, they were sidestepping tackles. Uh everybody, it's not just a defensive line, everybody, but there just wasn't that desire, that attitude that we saw against the Raiders, it just wasn't there, in my opinion, um, against the Browns. And I don't know if they were intimidated by the running game or they were tired or what the deal was, but they were really sloppy and mm-hmm. just not good on Sunday. Yeah. And I know we got um, – we're on defense, but I just – there's one other thing. There's a positive here that I want to uh, talk about. And we talked about Lombardi and Justin Herbert and uh, – you know, the offensive line and some other things, but I, d- I do want to commend Brandon Staley here on finding another way to win, you know, on the rewatch, I just was just kind of marveling in the fact that he found another way to win. We saw uh, week one against the Washington football team, Herbert kept the ball and they just bled the clock out for seven minutes. We saw them be able to run the, the game out like they did against Las Vegas and grind the game out late and have the offensive line impose their will. We saw against Kansas City the defense uh, step up and get an interception late, and then they close out the game on the road. And then on Sunday, it was an absolute slugfest. Staley has been reliant on his defense to limit the big gainers through the air, and it was completely unsuccessful like we talked about. And this was a shootout, and credit to Staley, not just because of all the in-game decisions and the fourth down calls like we talked about and going for two and all that other stuff, but flipping the script late to get the win. The defense forced two punts all game long. They got one turnover on downs, which clanked off OBJ's hands and kind of helped out the Chargers a little bit, but they gave up 42 points with a minute 30 left in that game. And like most people, including me, I just thought the Browns were going to run it down the Chargers' throat 
bleed out the clock. And then the Chargers just going to surrender first downs like they did all game long. And, you know, that's been the Browns' strength all season long. They just wear teams down. They run it down their throat. And they, when they have a lead, and then they do it till they, till, you know, they do it all the way to their victory. And the Chargers got two stops at the end of the game. They got a punt, which Herbert took down the field and scored on. And then the defense got the Browns to turn over on downs to end the game. So, Credit to Staley. You know, his defense was able to step up the last two drives uh, when they needed it because after that game as a unit, there are a lot of defenses that probably would have folded. I mean, they were gassed. They were giving up so many yards on the ground, and yet somehow, some way, they got two stops at the end of that game. The Chargers did not fold, and they won the game. And, yeah, while we're talking about that, I would say we owe the Browns, the Chargers owe the Browns, and Kevin Stefanski, a big, big thank you because um, there's the Browns' second to last drive. They've got the ball with a little over two minutes left. They run it on first down. The Chargers stop it. Then they pass it and throw an incomplete pass on second down. And then on third and ten, they run the ball up the middle with with a one point lead. Um, they basically gifted the Chargers back the ball with two minutes to go made no effort to pick up a first down when one more first down, the chargers have to start using their timeouts and, and uh, to stop the clock and the game is pretty much over. And they relied on a defense that had already given up 41 points to make a stop on a short field against a red hot quarterback and an offense that they couldn't stop. I, I do not get that decision at all. <laughs> uh, it doesn't make any sense. Throw a screen, throw the ball, try to throw the ball in the sticks, do something to try to pick up that first down and force the Chargers to start using their timeouts, you cannot give them the ball back. Basically, it's a 50-yard line with two minutes and five seconds left or whatever it was in the game mm-hmm. um, and two timeouts and expect to come out of that on top. You just can't. It was crazy. Yeah, no, I, I expected them to just try to get that first down. But yeah, that, that run was a weird call there at the end. It was like they lost yeah. track of the downs or something. Very yeah, strange. Yeah. yeah, it was weird. Are you got anything else before we go on to apologies? Yeah. Um, we don't talk about this very often, but I want to talk a little bit about special teams. Um, okay. I think they've got an issue on the right side of their PAT um, protection. Uh, Parham and Pipkins are playing side by side on the right side of the line on PATs. And every single time somebody is either getting between them or getting around Parham on the outside and forcing uh, Vizcaino to kick the ball to, to the left. And that was the, the direct cause of both of Vizcaino's PAT misses where it looked like one, the Browns were jumping the snap. Like they had the snap count figured out. And two, the effort and the technique on blocking that outside man is just not there for Parham. And when he's getting it done, Pipkins is getting beat. So They've got to figure out something there. That's that's going to be a big problem all year, and it's clearly something that opposing teams are are scheming for and planning for. Uh, and the other thing too is I wanted to give um, uh, Ryan, Smith Ryan Smith and yep. KJ Hill a big shout out. Hill had a huge thirteen yard punt return uh, that set up the Chargers game winning touchdown drive. Yes, uh, did a nice job of just kind of picking his way through traffic and getting those thirteen yards. And Smith had a great game on kick and punt coverage. I think he had three tackles seemed like he was in on pretty much every special teams play. So those two deserve a huge shout out. They had a, they had some key plays uh, to help set up that win. 
Yeah, yeah. Ryan Smith felt his presence known immediately. He was great. You could you could tell that this uh, uh, unit's gonna get gonna get better. So uh, let's let's go ahead. Let's get into it. It's time to apologize or eat some crow, atone, whatever we need to do here today. Do you want to start? Or do you want me to go ahead and you can go ahead and start? Okay. Well, well, uh, we kind of talked about it earlier, but I think we as a whole at some point need to apologize to Justin Herbert. We've apologized to a lot of different guys, Lohi Gilman who didn't play that. We didn't care for when they drafted him playing strong at some points, uh, Tavon Campbell, who we didn't have any confidence in a lot of guys, but I, Justin Herbert so exceeded all of our expectations. And I think you and I need to come with our hat in our hand and apologize because we did not like him during the draft process. Me more than you. I didn't like him more than you did. Uh, but I didn't like when the Chargers drafted him. And I was way wrong on all accounts. You know, I talked about how good Herbert's been. So I don't need to tell you that. But I do owe him an apology. He has been the record-breaking QB1. Uh, I couldn't have been more wrong about it. And quite honestly, happy to be wrong about it. Uh, I am very sorry, Justin Herbert. Uh, good luck. I, I'm sorry. Uh, I totally screwed that call up yeah i uh, i will echo those sentiments um i liked herbert a little bit more than you did during the draft mm -hmm. process not a lot still wasn't a huge fan of it um when they made the pick was able to go back and watch more of his college tape after they picked him and and realize that most of his shortcomings weren't his fault it was lousy coaching and a lack of playmakers around him but i was not a fan of the pick i was wrong so I apologize, Justin. You're playing fantastic <laughs> football. You've been worlds better than I thought you were going to be. Um, and the scary thing is, is you're probably just scratching the surface. So yeah, mm -hmm. great job, Justin. Thank you for proving both of us loudmouths wrong. We appreciate it. <laughs> um, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, it feels good. I don't know if it feels good, but being humbled on these draft uh, shots are are kind of nice it's a nice little switch up because we got we get a lot of credit for the guys we hit on but uh it's it's nice to be able to just say hey we're not perfect and herbert was one of our big misses for sure yep uh, my other th my other one goes the other way and um i gotta apologize because on after hours i said that jerry tillery had a good game and that was because there were two plays that stuck out to me live that popped late in that game in the fourth quarter on the rewatch he was not good at all I take that back. His terrible play in the run game way outweighed those two good plays at the end of that game. I was wrong on that comment. I'm going to own up to it. Uh, I said it on After Hours. I think T Jerry Tiller had a pretty good game uh, just on the live watch. Not the case. He did not have a good game. He had two good plays, but outside of that, he was not good at all. So you're apologizing for misleading our listeners. Not I was wrong. Yeah. I was wrong. I'm owning up to being wrong on the, on the live show. Yeah. General rule of thumb. Jerry Tillery is not good. Can we agree <laughs> so, on that? <laughs> uh, he's. I mean, we got to give. We gave him some credit. He was good at times this season, for sure. He he played probably his best game against the Raiders. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a small apology. Okay. I'm still not. I still think I'm right long term, but I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> Way to preface it. I will say that. At least on Sunday. KJ Hill took a step towards proving me wrong about not liking him as a punt returner. 
I still think there are decision-making issues. I think a faster guy might have made taken that punt return back further, although that may not have served the Chargers in the long run. But he had a great punt return. I think he had two solid punt returns, but that last one at the end of the fourth quarter was his best return of the year, and it set them up for a short field. So good job, K.J. Hill. You had a much better game as a return man on Sunday. And I apologize. I'll apologize for completely hating you, even though I'm still not totally sold. <laughs> Now Did I cover general, myself there? The general dislike instead of a hate. <laughs> a mild dislike, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Let's give KJ Hill his flowers. Yeah, he deserves some. He it was it was a very good return to set the Chargers up late. That was definitely a positive play on his part, and we haven't seen much of it this year. All right, I'm I'm done. I don't have anything else to apologize for. Do you? I got one more. It's oh, a small okay. one. Yes. I thought Jared Cook should have gotten out of, or should have gotten down inbounds on the wheel route that he caught in the fourth quarter um, on that first down play that started that second to last drive or the, the last drive for the chargers didn't realize during the live watch that it was a two minute warning and there was no point in him getting down because the clock was mm-hmm. going to stop anyway. I thought they missed a chance to burn some clock and there were a couple of other chances to burn clock, but that definitely was not on Jared cook. So I apologize. Jared cook didn't matter if you got down in bounds or got out of bounds. It was a two minute warning. Great play. Keep making those plays. There we go. So we we apologize both apologized on things we got wrong on after hours. Uh, apologies to a couple players. And that feels good. This is a good ending. I like yeah. this one. All right. Okay. We've got more. We'll be on after hours after the Ravens game. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast. I am at Garrett on Twitter. Jamie? At lightning underscore round. And we will see you next time. Thanks everybody. Thanks.